Hello, welcome to Failing Forward, the podcast that gives you an exclusive look at what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur and all the failures that happen along the way. Hi, I'm your host, Bethany Fiocchi Root, a seasoned marketer with over 17 years of experience crafting powerful digital marketing programs. I have a passion for entrepreneurship. If you do too, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss anything. In episode three, I talk with Malika Malhotra, the brand CEO. Malika is an award-winning brand strategist, mentor, and speaker. After years of working in corporate advertising on renowned brands like L'Oreal and Oil of Olay, Malika now empowers women entrepreneurs to get clear on their brand message, define their power niche, and become sought-after experts. Throughout our chat, I was struck by how passionate and persistent Malika is. Her business has taken many twists and turns over the years, as you'll soon learn about, and she just kept getting stronger and more clear on her vision. Real quick, before we get into it, I wanted to let you know that I'll be popping back in after the interview ends with some final thoughts, so make sure to stay tuned until the very end. Hello, and welcome to the Failing Forward podcast. My name is Bethany, and today I have Malika Malhotra on. Hello, Malika. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Malika is the brand CEO and helps people with their branding and really nailing their niche. So let's get right into it today. So it looks like you started out in the corporate world working on brands like L'Oreal and Oil of Olay. Can you give us a little background on where you started? Yes. I mean, it feels like 100 years ago, but I did start my career in advertising after college. I worked in big agencies in New York City and San Francisco. And I worked on some big brands. My sort of my niche back then, I didn't know it was my niche, but it was beauty. So I worked on L'Oreal Cosmetics and Oil of Olay, and I helped with their print and their TV and radio and billboards, which we don't do any of that anymore in 2024, but learned the real fundamentals of like how to build a campaign, how to connect with your audience, how to differentiate yourself from the other people in the marketplace. So it was a great, great experience of strategy as well as creativity, client service. So I feel like that those first jobs in the corporate world were really what taught me some of the fundamentals that I still use today in my entrepreneurial business. Oh, that's great. And so when you were working in the corporate world, what prompted the change over to owning your own business? Yes. So really, I think it was motherhood. <laughs> you know, so once you have a family, you know, you may have all these ambitions and dreams, but as soon as you're holding that child in your arms, things change, right? And so I always had these big dreams. I'd have the corner office, I'd wear the heels, I'd be, you know, commuting into New York City and working in advertising or marketing, corporate. But then once we decide to have a family, it just shifted everything. And in some ways, that's probably, you know, the feeling of failure was, you know, walking away from what those big dreams I had for myself and shifting that to what our values were for our family and what I felt was the right decision to make. Because my husband at the time was a surgery resident working 100 hour weeks 
and we moved quite a bit for his specialty. So two years here, three years there. So he almost felt like an army wife. Wasn't suitable for building a corporate career, having a young child, not having, you know, a lot of money to put your child in daycare that you felt good about. I remember visiting a daycare and it was in the basement with no windows. And I was like, this is not going to happen. <laughs> okay, we need to reassess. I need to opt out. It's the best decision. But it did feel like a failure in some ways because I did have these big, big dreams for myself. And I knew I had to take a step back for the vision I had for our family. That's smart, though. Adjusting as you get older and, and grow into your life is, is really important. I think that's a super important learning that, you know, maybe not a lot of people are able to adjust. So that's great that you were able to do that. Prior to that, had you ever thought about being an entrepreneur? I didn't think about no. it. I think motherhood was the catalyst because I wanted to do something. I love being a mom. I, you know, I love that I'm here for my, I have three boys now. But I also have this itch to do something bigger for myself. I wanted to create something. I wanted to do something. And so, you know, when my first son was born in 2002, I started a handbag business. I used vintage Indian saris that I had collected from relatives and my parents that were collecting dust in a box. And I decided I was going to create a bag with them using bangles as a handle. I called it the bangle bag. Of course, I was in New York, so it was very hip and trendy. But that is when I started. I had this creative pull to do something bigger. And so I created that. I was able to do that while I had my son. But then we moved again to Denver, Colorado. And that bangled bag did not really resonate with this new, you know, market out there. So I transitioned again and actually took those same fabrics and created a children's applique t-shirt business called Kid Guru. So it was all these different sari fabrics, very colorful. I had two children at the time. So again, that whole searching for something for myself. And I have to, if I were honestly looking at those businesses, they're probably more like hobbies, but they filled me with purpose. They filled me with creativity. And then it wasn't really until 2008, we had moved again. This time I was in California and I decided that having these labor-intensive businesses that needed seamstresses just didn't work out. And instead, I had this new camera in my hands, and I was documenting the lives of my two sons because all of my family was on the East Coast and I was living on the West Coast. And it was a time where Facebook was just starting, where you could share photos to build that connection. And it became an outlet for me. I had like photography became a way for me to express myself as a way to learn, to tell stories of my kids. And I came into the world of children and family photography and did that for many years. Oh, that's great. I love when people switch up their passions like that, go from one thing to another, because that itch just gets at you. This is definitely a common theme that I'm, I'm seeing as I'm talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, that they started with an itch tried a couple of different things that it worked for them at the time, and then they slowly evolved into other things. So tell me a little bit about that photography business. How long were you working on that for? So photography I did for many, many years. I started in 2008. I did children and family for a long time, and it was helpful because as my kids were younger, I was able to meet other young families. But as I got older, I sort of got tired of doing, you know, running around kids, singing the songs. 
we had moved again and now I was in New Jersey at the time and I started to do a lot of networking, meeting, you know, other women in business. And I started kind of going back to my roots of advertising and getting interested in more of the strategic business component. And I had the children's business, but then I also started doing some headshots. I also started doing dabbling in at the time, no one really called it brand photography, but like more of this brand photography. So now we're in 2015. And I had what I called the junk drawer business. I was doing everything under the sun. I had multiple markets. It was very confusing. I was spinning kind of all these different areas, children, family. I was doing headshots, brand photography, event photography. Like I would do anything that anybody asked me to. But it was exhausting. and I was burnt out. And I really didn't like how I felt about my business at the time. I didn't like being kind of this generalist and not an expert and that people could actually dictate the price. And I would just say, sure, sure, whatever you wanted, instead of me really looking into my sense of worth, my expertise, and shaping my business to what I knew I should be charging. And so I know a lot of business owners go through that, right? It's like we, we doubt ourselves. We have imposter syndrome. We feel like frauds. And we have to build that confidence in order to break through to the next level of the business. And so while I was doing all of those things and not feeling so great about myself, I made a decision in like 2016 to cut out all the children and family, even though those were families I'd worked with for years, and go all in on business and branding because I felt like there was an opportunity there with social media and online business that I could tap into brand photography and become the go-to. In and that's exactly what I did. Wow. How did that feel when you made that big decision to niche down? Yeah, it's scary. It's very scary. You're afraid you're going to fail, right? You're afraid you're going to make a decision that's not going to be what you expected. You have to rebuild your story, your brand. You have to rebuild the trust that people can see you as an expert. So it was very uncomfortable. And many days I doubted my decision. Should I just go back to what's safe? You know, and I remember my husband being like, why are you doing this? Like so many people want to pay you for children photography. Just keep doing that. But I think it's important to have that bigger vision for yourself and your business. Like what is going to feel sustainable? What's going to fill, you know, your heart and your soul and your mind in the long run? And I knew I was outgrowing that children's side of my business, but I was afraid. I was afraid I was going to be a failure. What if it didn't work? But I decided to take the leap, go all in. And it just made marketing easier because it was more streamlined. It made connecting with the ideal customer easier because it wasn't parents and families or people having events. It was entrepreneurs who are trying to become the face of their brand. So everything sort of got simpler, but it definitely was you know, a mindset thing of really like, okay, I can do this and I'm ready to do this. But it was scary for, for a time period. But I gave myself like, all right, do it for six months, see what happens and then reassess. That's great. That's so brave. I just have to say that. It's so brave. Thank you. You're welcome. Was there anything that helped to make that decision easier for you? Did you have a network of people you talked to or family members? I know you mentioned your husband. What was your support system like for that transition? I think always surrounding myself with like-minded women. So as I mentioned, I joined a lot of different networking groups. And by joining those networking groups, just sort of what planted the seed of what I could be, what I could be doing. And then really finding, you know, your peer groups, people that 
are going to support you, cheerlead you, or also call you out on things, right? And so I was able in those networking groups really find my people. And that was the support I needed to kind of get to the next level. Also invested in coaches, right? Coaches who would support your dream to help you see the bigger vision, to help you with strategies or shortcuts. I think it's very important to find people who can, you know, support you so that you're not doing it alone or just relying on Google and getting into the black hole of things. So I definitely had my peers and I also invested in coaches or mentors. That's great. That's a good piece of advice for a lot of people starting out. I know people can get stuck on those big decision points or transition points and having a, a network or having a coach to be able to talk through those fears and the next steps with can be really comforting. Yeah. So that was around 2016. So take me through the next steps that got you to where you are today. I know. This is what happens when you're an entrepreneur over two decades. It's like this long, <laughs> long journey. So I did brand photography for a long time. And I loved it. I loved doing, you know, photos, helping women tell their stories. But if I'm really being honest, like photography for me was something I was good at. But what I was really good at was the strategy behind the photography. I asked the right questions. I wanted to know what these women, what their purpose was, what their missions were, what they valued, what did they think they were, how they were different from everybody else. What was the marketing plans that they had? I thought all photographers asked those questions, and I soon realized that half of them didn't, right? But I felt very strongly that if I didn't know what the foundation of your business was, how was I going to be able to create stories visually to tell the best stories? Like the best stories were grounded in very strong strategy. So soon I got known as, you know, the person to go to for building your brand just as much as the photography. And this gave me a chance to scale my brand a little bit because with photography, it's one client at a time, right? And it's in person. And so now if I was doing strategy, I could do it online. I could work in group programs. And so it was, again, taking the leap to get out of my comfort zone of being known as a photographer and now shifting that identity to include being a strategist. So I did that for many years. I did both. And then... In the last four years, since 2020, since a pandemic and another move again, because why not? <laughs> we moved up to Maine from New Jersey. I, I found that my photography brand didn't resonate as well with the people in Maine as it did in New Jersey. In New Jersey, I had a package that had hair and makeup and, you know, styling. And it's different, the culture in Maine. And at first, again, it was like, am I a failure? Like, is this brand not resonating with the people here? Even though I know that it worked down there, what is the disconnect? And then as I really thought about the future of my business, I found that with a pandemic, no one was doing photography anyway, and I was already shifting and leaning a little bit more into the brand strategy part. Because of the pandemic, people were pivoting. They were struggling. They were in panic of how are they going to build their brand in this new landscape? And I was able to help them solve their problems, give them insight, give them strategies. And so again, I shifted and pivoted. So I was doing much more strategy than photography. Found myself doing all strategy, doing programs, mentorship, memberships for strategy, but having to let go of that identity that I've had for so long and that brand that I had for so long again, was hard. It was uncomfortable. It's like I had an identity crisis. Like, how could I 
my business was called Miki Photo and everyone knew Miki Photo. Now I was going to step into my personal brand. Was that a risk? Was that a mistake? But I rolled the dice and I did it. And I felt like if I knew what the vision was that I wanted, then I knew that this was the right step. You know, a friend of mine had asked me because I was struggling, like, do I do it? Do I not do it? Do I just put strategy under Miki Photo? And she gave me a question. She asked me a question, which really, and it might help some of your audience of what to ask myself. She said, you know, when you're 90 years old and you are sitting in a rocking chair and you're surrounded by your grandchildren, what are you going to tell them that you're most proud of when you look back at your entrepreneurial career? And for me, it was about helping women stand in their power, in their brand, in their story, confidence and leadership. It wasn't a about photography. It was about the strategy. And so I just knew that it was time to let that go and move into this new chapter, another new chapter of my own brand. That is so powerful when people find their alignment. And also you have such a great story of growing and reevaluating and finding out what's right for you as you go. I do think a lot of people have trouble with letting go were there things that you had learned along the way that helped you make this transition? Yeah, many things. I mean, you know, again, finding your zone of genius, finding that area of expertise that you love to do, like you would do if you, no one was even going to pay you, that you do that, you know, time just flies out the window. When I think about the photography era of my business, I did it well. But I never felt like I was in flow. It was always like in the morning, I would kind of panic a little bit. And I didn't know, I didn't know my camera as well as other people did. I could connect with people. I could, the storytelling and the strategy was my strong suit. And so just knowing that, you know, there's areas of excellence and then there's areas of genius. And that, that area of genius for me was in the mentorship, was in the strategy. And so all of us, have to kind of assess our skills and strengths over time. And you always like six months every year do that because we're always evolving and it's okay to shed some of those older layers to step into the better, newer version of yourself. And so I think that was a big part of like really assessing what do I do good at and what do I do really great at? What do I like? It fills my soul that I just, I can't stop doing it. And so the whole brand strategy and now niche strategy is really like, I just feel like when I'm doing it, it is not, it's not easy, but it just fills me up and it feels powerful, like powerful work. That's so great. I can tell that you are so excited about this. It, it like emanates from you as we're talking, your excitement and your passion. And that's so refreshing. I love it. It also sounds like your story is a little story, a little bit of a story of just trying things, even though you are fearful or unsure of the future. So if you had to give some advice to people who may be ready to pivot but aren't sure or ready to start something completely new, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, a couple of things. I would say define the vision first of where you want to go. Because if you know kind of the big picture of what you're trying to create, that future forecast of your business, then it'll help you with the decisions that you're making right now in your business. It's when we don't have that North Star that we start to sort of, you know, doubt ourselves or we get off track. So it's so important to have a vision for your brand and for your business. Then the second thing I would say is 
to trust yourself. You have all the things that you need, right? I know self-doubt comes in, imposter syndrome comes in, but we have to really trust ourselves. Trust that we have the experience, personal and professional, to take us to that next best step. It's okay if it's going to take a long time, but just to that next best step. And then the last thing is really, again, surrounding yourself with people that are going to inspire you, that are going to motivate you. Because if you don't, it's very easy to stay in the same place, to stay stagnant, to feel mediocre. But when you surround yourself by movers and shakers, people that are motivated and inspired, you too are going to want to grow, even if it's uncomfortable. And I think I've done a really good job of surrounding myself with people that might be three steps ahead of me or five steps ahead of me so that I always have that inspiration and that, you know, that catalyst to keep growing. And so I think, you know, it is it's self-awareness, self-discovery, self-discipline, like all of those things. It's really within you, but definitely your community can help you. That's great. I have found that networking and surrounding myself recently, especially as I joined the Women's Business League, but it's just a great network of people who are very supportive. And and like you said, being able to reach out to people who may be a few steps ahead of you, who can even give you advice or mentorship as well as that inspiration is so important. Have you ever had detractors in your life that maybe took away some of your excitement or took away some of your progress? And if so, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I think we all have that, you know, the doubters or people, you know, I've had people maybe in my family that misunderstand the entrepreneurial journey, right? Like, why don't you just go back to corporate? Why don't you just get, you know, a steady job, you know, or that don't really even understand like building an online business. And I come from a family of doctors. So like, it's a totally different world, right? And so I've had to overcome a lot of my own confidence issues of like, just because I didn't choose that path, it doesn't mean I have less impact, right? It doesn't mean that I'm a failure with what I'm doing because I don't have an MD or a JD or an MBA near my name. We all have different paths and we all have different ways that we can have impact in the world. And so I've had to put some blinders on and I've had to really control my own mindset, reframe things on my own, because there are a lot of voices you know, we're human, right? There are a lot of voices in your head that might just not understand what you're here to achieve. So I've definitely had naysayers or just people don't understand or just they're not in my industry. And before it used to really bother me, but now I think I'm also older now. So now I just feel like I, I, I don't see it as negative anymore. I see it as just, they just don't understand, right? And so, and and I'm really in control of my own development of what I want to do day to day. That's great. I like that you're taking the power back in that. (laughs) Yes. It's hard, but you know, you have to, otherwise you could, you know, drown in that, drown in what Mm -hmm. people think of you or what everyone else is doing, right? And, you know, it's like, I really keep my eyes on my own paper. (laughs) I really try to do that. There you go. I like that advice. All right, I'm going to switch over to talking specifically about some failures. So signature question, throughout all of the journey that you talked about, what would you say is your biggest failure and what did you learn about that? Yeah, I think once I got into the groove of knowing what I wanted to do in terms of brand strategy and being a mentor and having programs, 
you know, it's hard. Like you have this expertise and then what do you do next? How do you deliver that? So I think some of my failures are, you know, digital products that never sell, right? Spending tons of money and putting your expertise in what you think is absolutely fabulous. And then when you share it to the world, it kind of falls flat. And learning from that experience that it's not a failure in, in that sense of that maybe you're not selling it. Maybe you could reframe it and use it as a tool in other ways. And so I've created digital products at lower price points. But it is a little bit of a disconnect when I think about my business model because I have a mastermind, which is at a higher price point. And I'm not putting the energy and the effort for the lower price point. So they're not going to do as well as obviously what my core product is. And so I have to kind of reframe that failure of like, why are they selling? It is because I am not emphasizing it in order for it to expand. And so how can then I take that product that I spent good money in and designing and the time and effort and try to reuse it in different ways in what is working, right? And I've had other instances with that too, like starting programs in the very beginning of my career as a brand strategist that people don't understand or are not buying, right? And you feel like I have to lower the price, lower the price, lower the price. And you feel so bad about yourself because now it's a pricing game, not a value game. And you learn very quickly after you lower the price so much, you're attracting the wrong clients. They're not the best clients because when you pay, you pay to play, you pay to invest and you invest your time and your effort. And so those are lots of lessons that I learned. It's, it's better to have a good price to attract the right clients who then will respect the container and do the work rather than just trying to fill it for the sake of filling it. And I think we all go through those stages, especially in the beginning when you have a new program or you have a new product. So now, in retrospect, I have the learnings. At the time, it was hard. You're like, you feel really bad because you think you have a good idea. You spent the time and the effort to try to sell it, and it's not selling. Yes, I think anyone in the digital product space has been there. <laughs> yes, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. Have you? So you also do speaking as well, don't you? Yes, I definitely do speaking. I'm not a natural born speaker. It's a muscle that I have definitely had to nurture and nourish and flex and work on. But that is something that I'm really proud of, that now I do a lot of speaking, either my own speaking events or I go into other people's masterminds or memberships or conferences. And I have different speaking topics. But it's a great way to boost your brand and to sort of position yourself as an authority. So for those of you who haven't done it, I highly recommend it, even though it is very scary. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It is. And I've learned over the years for myself personally, I used to be a little afraid of public speaking. And I've learned when I know the subject and when I'm confident and I'm excited about it, it's much, much easier to talk in front of people because you feel like you're sharing your knowledge as opposed to just going up there and standing in front of a bunch of people not knowing what to do. But I can imagine, especially thinking back on some of my experiences early on with public speaking and stuff, I can imagine that there were some stumbling blocks along the way to learning that. Do you have any examples of, I say, and again, just to reiterate to everybody, when I say failures, I know that they're all learning experiences. It's not a literal failure. But did you have any experiences that were maybe a learning experience as you went into speaking? Yes, I'm thinking of one incident. It was probably early on in my speaking <laughs> career, I guess. I was speaking about, I have a signature talk called Become the Face of Your Brand. 
and it's all about how you need to be more visible. And I have a framework of six images every entrepreneur needs. And it was sort of early where I, I didn't really prepare for maybe questions or feelings of people who didn't agree with what I was teaching and preaching. And so I had a few people in the audience and it was a time where visibility wasn't as high as it is now. So we're talking maybe 2015, 2016, where they really pushed me. They, they didn't agree with anything that I was saying. They felt that visibility was vanity, that being the face of your brand was more for the person rather than the audience, and that it should be about the products and the services and the result. And that what I was sharing was really not what they agreed with, and nor was it a framework they felt that I should be preaching to other people. And I was not prepared for that. I thought everyone should, you know, be open to being visible. And what I should have done was really prepare of like the mindset of people who don't want to be visible and talk more about that. And I think I got defensive in my talk. You know, I felt attacked and I got defensive. Instead of taking a step back and asking the questions of like, well, why would you feel like that? You know, what are some things that are going through your mind that you don't want to be visible? And maybe we can explore that. Instead, I was like, well, why wouldn't you want to be visible? You know, that's mm -hmm. the only. And I, you know, in retrospect, I it almost I have a cringe moment because here I am being the authority, right? Being the expert. And I was unprepared with that feedback. And. I felt attacked and I got defensive and it didn't, it, it didn't help me communicate the material then. And I kind of lost my momentum and the vibe and felt bad at the end and almost felt like I had to apologize to that woman because I was in a position of expert and she was just asking questions. And so I think about that moment a lot when I do speak. And I think if I just paused, and took a breath instead of been in like fight mode of like, what if you don't agree with me? I think I would have handled it better. But that comes with experience, right? It does, definitely. And it sounds like there's also a little lesson in there as well about you know, from a business side of things is thinking about objections and your response to objections ahead of time. I know I've always struggled with that and I have also the tendency to get a little defensive. My husband will tell you that as I'm telling him my ideas. He's the first person to point out the questions or objections about stuff. So it is a great learning to have and, and being more confident and poking on what you said, kind of stepping back, taking away the defensiveness and understanding the reasoning behind the questions and being you know, doing that in a calm, expert-led way must help you a lot in all of your speaking engagements now. Yeah, I think it's, you know, a lesson of detachment. It's not emotional. Like, taking that away, that even though I'm here trying to position myself as an expert and an authority, some people might not agree. And that's okay. Let's ask some questions. And so now as I do my presentations, I actually lead with that. I say, as I'm talking about this, this is my point of view, right? And I ask that you have a curious mind, an open mind, and you might not agree and that's okay. We can have a discussion about it. But these are, you know, based on my experience, based on what I see in the industry or from client experience, my own experience. And so 
as I kind of position it that way, I think there is a respect that people have that I, it's my thought leadership and I'm actually packaging it for you to teach you something. And so you might not agree and that's okay. But if you are curious and open-minded, at least we can have a conversation and a dialogue versus a, you know, a he said, she said, or she said, she said kind of battle. Like I've learned from that experience that it is you have to detach yourself and just be very open. That is a very important lesson, too, and one that I've had a hard time learning over both my corporate career as well as my side business career. I come from a a Portuguese and Italian family, and we have very big emotions, high tempers. And so as I've grown, it has been probably one of the most important learning lessons to detach the emotions from the business. And it's helped me deal with with a lot of situations that were maybe uncomfortable or where I would have normally melted into that defensiveness. So I guess my last question, this has been amazing and I, I love everything you've said. It's so important and so helpful for people starting their own endeavors. But going along the lines of emotions and, and maybe being a woman in business and especially moving into your own power and your own business. Have you ever struggled with the emotional side besides the speaking engagements? Have you ever struggled with detaching the emotions from the outcome of what you're trying to get for your client, for yourself? And if so, how, how, have, you, how have you tackled that? So much. I mean, so two examples or incidents come to mind. So I just finished a launch period for a mastermind, which started yesterday. And for anyone who's launched, you know, it requires so much energy, right? You have to have like a bulletproof mindset to get through it because you're going to hear so many no's, you're going to get ghosted and you have to keep showing up, right? You have to keep showing up on all of your channels. And that's hard. It is really can affect your emotional well-being. And I remember like in December, I had only three signups for this mastermind. And I thought, you're starting in a month. I had a lot of time, but I had this mindset of like, what What if I don't fill it? I'm going to be such a failure. I'm going to let these three women down because I'm not creating that community container. And what does that say about me? And how can I be a mentor to people if I can't even have success in my own endeavors? And I really had to pull, like slap myself out of it and just kind of pull that emotion out and just have that self-belief of, I really feel strongly about this container. I have worked hard for this container. I know it works. And I just have to keep at it. I have to keep showing up. I have to keep networking. I have to keep speaking. Those are things that I know create results. I got to keep filling my calendar. And I know it's a lot. Like I have a lot of Zoom fatigue. I know it's a lot, but I know it works. And it's almost just like giving yourself this roadmap and just doing it and trying to take out all that. Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Take that out because that's going to affect your energy and your vibe. And once you get into that mode, it's just, it's not going to work at the end. And then I needed like my cheerleaders. I remember texting friends and they were like, you got this. You can do this. You have plenty of time. Everything happens in the end. And I'll tell you, everything happened in the end. I got 11 amazing women at the end. Going from three for so long, I got 11. We started yesterday. It was amazing. So congratulations, like a total mindset, like even if you've been in business for 21 years, it doesn't matter, but you have to like really strengthen that belief and make it not so emotional. The other 
thing I'll say is many of us who are coaches or mentors, you get very intertwined with your clients. Like you feel so responsible for their results, especially if they're in your container. And I've learned that I have to detach in that way too. You want to empower your clients. You want to give them the tools, but we are not responsible for their results. They are responsible for their results. And I probably didn't learn that lesson until like maybe two or three years ago because I felt very responsible for my clients' results. But you can't do the work for them. You can cheer them on. You can give them strategies and shortcuts. You can create a space where they get motivated to take the right next best step. But your clients are the only ones that are responsible for their results. And so that mindset was a game changer for me. I can empower them, but I cannot do the work for them. So those are two examples of how really you'd have to kind of pull that emotion out a little bit. And it will really affect how you lead your business, the sustainability of your business. It's really a game changer. Great. Thank you so much for all of your stories and your advice. That was perfect. Thank you so, so much. I, thank you. I will talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm back. Malika's journey of trying out different entrepreneurial ventures over the years really resonated with me. If you know me, you know I have a different business idea like every other month. I've blogged, consulted, walked dogs, rented baby gear to traveling parents, sold t-shirts in my college dorm, crocheted headbands in fourth grade, and sold them for 50 cents each, which let me tell you, buys quite a lot of lunchtime snacks. The list goes on and on, basically through the beginning of my time. But Malika had some incredible advice to share about pivoting and how to do it intentionally and successfully. So let's recap. Number one, find your zone of genius. You might be able to do all the things, but find the one that feels easy, fun, and makes your heart sing. Two, if you're going to pivot, make sure to define your vision first and also trust yourself in making that decision. Three, Invest in a coach or mentor to support that big vision and help you get there. These last two points aren't specific to pivoting, but are super important and worth mentioning again. When you hear objections, don't get defensive, get curious. And number five, surround yourself with like-minded people and peers and let them be your cheerleaders. So thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. I can't wait to bring you more. I have a few that I'm sitting on that I just need to edit because, you know, time. But I can't wait to see you back here next time. Have a great week.